Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and our guest today is James Twyman. He is the New York Times bestselling author of 15 books, including Emissary of Light, The Moses Code, and The Proposing Tree. And he is known around the world as the Peace Troubadour. He's also the producer-director of five films, including the award-winning feature film Indigo. But it's producing films for seniors that gets him excited today. His latest feature film, Redwood Highway, is meant to spark a movement, bringing more attention to the most underserved audience in the world, elders. Yay! Says today's my birthday, I have joined the ranks. (laughs) Welcome, James. I'm delighted to speak to you. Oh, it's great to be on the program, Miriam. Thank you for inviting me. (laughs) It's my pleasure. Tell me what inspired you to begin making feature films for senior audiences. Well, it's a good question. I I can tell you that I've always loved film. I mean, I'm I'm known as a book writer, but I've always aspired to work in film. And about 10 years ago, as you mentioned, I worked on a movie called Indigo. A friend of mine, Stephen Simon, uh, who was a Hollywood producer, moved to this small town in Oregon where I lived. And one day I just said how would it be if we raised a little bit of money and made our own little independent film here in Ashland, Oregon? He loved the idea, and that's how Indigo was birthed. And I, I loved the experience, but after about three or four films, I decided I can't do this anymore. This is too much risk, too much money, and I decided I would never make another movie. In fact, what I did was I wrote myself a letter uh, telling me why I should never make another movie. And I gave that letter to five friends, and I told them, if I ever get excited again and try and make a movie, please send me this letter, talking me out of it. And I, I, one day I actually went to a film called The Exotic Marigold Hotel, which many people have seen. It's a wonderful movie that is really made for the older generation. And I remember being there looking around, and I had just turned 50, and I looked around and realized I was the youngest person in the room. And that's when it hit me that there are so few films that are made with the older generation in mind, let alone with characters they can relate to or inspiring themes. And, and in that moment, I thought, okay, I've got to jump back in and throw my hat back in the ring. And I actually called those five friends and said, do you remember that letter? please rip it up and don't send it to me because I have this new idea. And, you know, the, the amazing thing, Miriam, is that uh, that was um, less than a uh, around a year ago, actually, that that happened. Uh, I started writing the script with um, a director named Gary Lundgren, and we, we wanted to make a movie that would be inspiring, but that would also be about, you know, th- that stage of life. What would happen if someone wanted to go on one last great adventure? And we wrote the script in one month, two months later we were shooting it, and by April it was actually being premiered at a film festival. And so that was nine months that it took to completely do this movie, which is kind of unheard of. But it was such a, it felt blessed from the beginning. And to get people like Shirley Knight's uh, one of our great actresses who's been nominated for two Academy Awards and the great Tom Skerritt, actors like that who really believed in it. Uh, I'm just so excited now that, that we have this beautiful film that we'll be releasing soon. You know, you, you, you say that um, 
it's this older demographic that cannot find um, movies that they resonate with. But I think it's far beyond that. I mean, absolutely. we looked at, I looked at the list that you sent of movies that had themes with older people, uh, you know, doing meaningful things. And yet you, you get the feel-good movie in general that is generally done on an indie budget, you know, mm-hmm. and it comes out, it becomes a sleeper and it suddenly explodes into the box office. Why doesn't Hollywood get the message? And, and I understand that you are actually trying to address the movers and shakers in Hollywood with this film and with a movement. Tell us about it. Well, I have to say that when the idea for Redwood Highway came, I knew from the very beginning that this was much more than just a movie that I wanted to do, but a movement. And you're right, Hollywood, it just really amazes me that they just don't get it. Because right now, um, the the population that is 50 and above is 40% of the U.S. population. I mean, that that is an enormous group, tens of millions of people. And to leave that many people disenfranchised and to only make movies for 15-year-old boys, which is how it feels sometimes, it just is so short-sighted. But when you look at the people who are running most of the studios in Hollywood, most of them are very, very young uh, men and women who are mainly uh, looking at the, the bottom line money rather than the quality of the film. They're bookkeepers, they're accountants, they're business people. They're not movie lovers like it used to be. And older people, I mean, we were raised with the classics. So we're, we're not as easily fooled by flash and, and CGI. And, and it seems that those things today substitute for great story, great plot, and great acting. And, and it's, it's time that we bring those things back, because you're right. It's really in the indie film world that, that you have these sorts of quality stories, and yet to try and get an independent film out is so massively difficult. And, of course, we're running into that with Redwood Highway. We're having to really think outside the box and do things in a very different way just to get noticed because we don't have millions of dollars to promote a film like, like most films that are out there do. So we, we really believe that, that this is a movement that needs to be created. And one of the things that we've done to initiate that is I started a petition called A Million Senior Voices. The idea is to get people like all of us to actually do more than just talk about this, but to be about it. And all you need to do is to sign this petition online. I'll give the address in a moment. But to sign this quick petition, and when we get to a million people, which we're on the way to now, what we're going to do is we're planning a big uh, press conference in Hollywood where we're going to announce this, and then we're going to take this uh, petition and the survey to every studio, every producer, every production company there in L.A. to show them resolutely that there is a huge audience that you're neglecting and you're leaving money on the table since money is important to them. Mm -hmm. I mean, when films do get made, like Marigold Hotel that I mentioned, because it's, you know, so uncommon, people go see them. And, and, and you know, the other thing, Miriam, that's really interesting about this audience is that, uh, Older people, our age and older, are much more likely to go to the theater than even younger people because we don't 
Um, many people who are older don't resonate with streaming. I mean, younger people will watch a movie on their iPhone. Uh, <laughs> what older people do is they get in their car and they drive to the theater because they want that communal experience. So once again, it just doesn't make any sense. And, and that's what we want to, uh, to do with this petition is to show that for every one person who signs it, there are 10 people behind it. There are millions of people who would go see these films if they were made. So I just encourage everyone who's listening to go to www.seniorcinema.com, seniorcinema.com, and sign that petition. Be, you know, let your voice be heard. Also, you could watch the trailer for Redwood Highway right there. So you can see, you know, the only American film in the last little while here that's been made for this audience. You know, it's funny when you think about it that most of the senior-oriented films in the last few years have been English. <laughs> and very, <laughs> none of them have been American. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what they know that we don't, but it's time that we catch up. Well, I think partly it's a matter of taste and discernment. Um, it seems to be a little more, um, mm-hmm. I, I know that I lived in England for 13 years and I may be biased, but mm-hmm. I, um, I, I think that the discernment also comes with age. Mm-hmm. And I think the English culture is much more rooted in tradition and in, um, mm-hmm. uh, honoring age than the, the young brash American culture. Another thing was occurring to me as you were speaking, and <clears throat> I know, belatedly, that you are a friend of George Campanelli, yes. who uh, I interviewed a while back on this show about his book, Do Not Go Quietly. And he makes the point there that the, the boomers and the elders, um, aside from being one of the biggest demographic groups in the country, also have the most leisure time and the most economic resources. (laughs) So it would really behoove Hollywood to sit back and take notice, don't you think? You know, isn't it funny that the the audience that that Hollywood pays the most attention to are those who have no money and, (laughs) and less time and less motivation? Uh, I mean, it, it is true that that on a one-to-one basis, younger people do go see more movies than old. That's it's true. Okay, I mean we can deal with that fact. But still, all of these other things are also true. That that we still want to see great movies. But the other th- thing that needs to be paid attention to is uh, none of these these the statistics that Hollywood is using to justify not making these films make any sense because. If you don't make films that resonate with a certain demographic, then they're not going to go to the movies. And my whole thing is, you know, to take a great quote from a great movie, uh, make it or build it and they will come. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in, in this case, film it and they will come. And, and I think that what we're going to see is that uh, people who are 55 and older and what, you know, we, who, know, who knows what to even call them these days, boomers, seniors, doesn't really matter. All, all we know is that it's just an enormous group of people that want films that resonate with them, not just, you know, CGI, special effect-driven movies that have no story, but, but, but films that, that can teach us about our lives. And, and I really believe that if we can get this petition moving in front of them, then they're going to read the writing on the wall. 
And so that's once again why I want everybody to go there and do that because then we can show them resolutely that there is an audience and that if more movies are being made, they'll make money at them. And once again, that's what's important to them. Mm. So tell us about Redwood Highway. How is it different from other spiritual films you've produced in the past? Well, first of all, um, as you said, spiritual films were kind of the focus. Um, Stephen Simon, as I mentioned before, pioneered what he called spiritual cinema. And I wanted to go in a different direction with Redwood Highway because even though spiritual is very different from religious, it, it still um, it, it, it limits the audience. Uh, people who hear that and just think, oh, I'm not interested because they have whatever judgment they have about what a spiritual film may be like. To me, it's about inspirational films. And if, if that just means that the spirituality is, is, a, is a bit more of the undercurrent. It, I mean, there are definitely spiritual parts of Redwood Highway in the sense that it's about transformation. Basically, Redwood Highway is a movie of about a 75-year-old woman named Marie, played by Shirley Knight, who has decided that she's not going to go to her own granddaughter's wedding based upon some events that happened 45 years ago that she hasn't dealt with. And finally, she knows that this is her last chance and that she has to deal with these things. And she decides that the only way she can do it is to put a backpack on and to walk the almost 100-mile road that we call the Redwood Highway to the ocean so she can go to her granddaughter's wedding. And she has a huge adventure where she meets all these different people who help her, who limit her, who try and stop her, including uh, this very kindly woodworker uh, played by Tom Skerritt, who is just delightful. I mean, the scenes between Tom Skerritt and Shirley Knight are the best scenes in the movie, in my opinion. And these two veteran actors who, you know, they, I mean, they're both still very busy. They still work a lot, but they don't get offered roles like this anymore. I mean, they're so often offered smaller supporting roles. And so for someone like Shirley to be offered a, a leading role in a film that has real heart, I think that's why she took it. And uh, so it's a film that I, I'm amazed at how well it turned out, to tell you the truth. And so far, the audiences have, that have seen it have loved it. And I think it's going to be the perfect um, launch pad for this whole movement of spiritual cinema. Or, mm -hmm. excuse me, senior cinema. Mm -hmm. That's just such an, an important message for this time. You know, we have a challenge in the movement towards awakening of what to call things. Yeah. Because we use words like spiritual and consciousness and new age to try and address a kind of an amorphous and growing mm -hmm. impetus from within people's souls, really. Yeah. Yeah, something that's rising from within all of us. And But words are so tricky, as you said. I mean, what one person calls it, even though it may be the same feeling or a very similar experience, one word may completely derail another. Mm -hmm. And and so it's it's important that we be gentle with these things and to recognize that that we can all express this in our own unique way because this is a universal experience. What is happening with you and with me is happening to humanity itself. It's really just evolution. Maybe it is a spiritual evolution. I don't know. 
but something is, is, is stirring within us. Something is rising from within us. And we can call it whatever we want to call it, but the main thing is that it's real and it's having an impact. And, you know, one of the other things as we're on this subject is that uh, it's important, I think, that we... Hmm, how do I explain this without sounding <laughs> accusatory? Let me put it this way. I remember when I first started uh, opening up into this movement back in the mid-'80s. It was a very vibrant time up until, you know, around the turn of the millennium because everything was just beginning. There was a lot of excitement. And back in the mid-'80s, you couldn't just buy these types of books in a normal bookstore. They just didn't exist. But pretty soon... Stores like Barnes and Noble and others began to catch on, and pretty soon there would be a full bookshelf, and then two or three or four bookshelves, even more in some cases, filled with books on this subject because it was becoming mainstream and people were excited. But then something happened, and I've seen a big shift in this movement in the last, I don't know, eight or nine years. And and if you if you just look at that bookshelf analogy. Uh, those bookshelves that had grown to have such diversity have now shrunk and are down, in many cases, down to one or even no bookshelves left in bookstores. And that's because, in my opinion, in recent years, so much emphasis has been put on what I want, what I don't have, and thinking that the spiritual movement is the same as the personal growth movement. Mm -hmm. And it's not. Spiritual movement is not about more, at least in a physical sense. Sometimes it's about less. Sometimes it's about simplicity, not thinking that my spirituality is based on how nice my car is or how big my house is. And there was a little movie that came along a few years ago that I don't think very many people saw. It was called The Secret. And, <laughs> and obviously... It did catch on, and, and, and I think that this is, this is where a lot of this energy came from. People began to literally associate what, you know, the goods that they had as the measure of their spirituality rather than the goodness that they were able to possess or extend or to share. And, and I think right now I'm hoping that we stand at the bridge of a new spiritual renaissance, I mean, sometimes we have to go to this place in order to see what really is important. And as more programs like this and movements like the senior cinema movement and things that are outside the box that, that, that are about service and about giving, I think what's going to happen is the energy is going to come back and we're going to, to revitalize this movement. Uh, and maybe we'll use different words for it. Maybe we won't call it New Age Movement or even use words like spiritual. But I do know that, that it's going to come down to us, as I said before, not being so focused on goods, but manifesting goodness in our lives. One can only hope that that um, is taken to heart. Yeah. Um, and and I think it is happening because you you keep on seeing um, books by people who have had this life shift, and uh, I mean, it, what about the film by Tom Shadiak, I Am? Mm -hmm. Usually, it takes some kind of trauma or Dark Night of the Soul or some kind of profound experience for people to sit back and say. 
I need more meaning in my life. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is the impulse behind what is going to make senior cinema, not just senior cinema, but meaningful cinema. Mm-hmm. You're, we need to come up with another so right. name because it's not just seniors who are That's looking right. for meaning. Well, hopefully one will lead to the other because I'm mm-hmm. totally on board with that. It's, it's really just about bringing, you know, all the things that, that when we were younger that we went to see movies for. And today, I'm flabbergasted to tell you the truth. I, I was at a movie the other day, and, and all the trailers that were playing, I, I literally closed my eyes. I didn't want to see them. Because, number one, they just weren't movies that I was even remotely interested in. And the assault on my senses watching these trailers, uh, it was so profound. And this is what passes for film today. If they aren't spending $200 million on a movie, the studios aren't interested in it. And, and actually, Steven Spielberg gave a speech a month or so ago where he, he said that he's, he thinks that the Hollywood system is about to implode. When so much emphasis is put on such enormous budgets, it's only going to take two or three of them to fail. Like, let's say, The Lone Ranger recently. If two or three you know, happen in a row, the entire system is going to fall apart. Maybe that's a good thing. I mean, maybe that's what we need to get back to, the, to what really counts. Take Tom Skerritt as an example. Tom, you know, one of our, our great actors, who uh, is a true veteran of, of the film industry, and yet Tom's passion these days, he, he lives in Seattle, and what he loves to do the most is to do workshops for veterans who come back from the war with PTSD and teaching them the art of storytelling so that mm-hmm. they can use the art of storytelling to help heal. This is what he's most passionate about. And, 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 you know, he's also the perfect person for a film like Redwood Highway because, you know, he is such, such a, you know, he, his heart is, is so real on stage or on the screen, rather, that that energy and that essence comes out. And that's the, that's the meaningful sort of film that is going to transcend more than just, you know, what we're calling the senior cinema. But if you think about it, most of the great, films, let's take Cocoon, for example, that we could call senior cinema, everyone loves. I mean, these are universal films. They're not just for seniors. Redwood Highway definitely is not a movie that I'm hoping only seniors see. It's just that they're going to relate to it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. You talk about uh, Skerritt's activities, which which sound marvelous, and it reminds me that uh, you, uh, in your very early days, were a Franciscan, and you've always been about serving people. And I think this is a meme that is coming more and more into the consciousness, that we're not just about us, we're about serving the greater good. Yes, that is really the key, isn't it? And for me, uh, you know, the the film right now uh, is a great passion, and this movement is a great passion. But actually, in my own life, I'm, I'm rediscovering what, initiated this whole transformation for myself and that was um through the the peace concert where i would travel around the world uh sharing these prayers of peace from the many different religions of the world often in countries that were at war and it's something i haven't done for a number of years now simply because um as i think you know miriam we we had a tragedy in our family 
seven years ago when Linda, uh, who was my wife, was murdered in Chicago. And mm-hmm. my daughter asked me that I not do that. And so I have not traveled to a war zone for a number of years. But I've really been feeling the call to, to reinitiate the peace troubadour. And I've been invited next month in August to, uh, to perform the peace concert in Syria and also in Egypt and those two war-torn countries. And we've, we're definitely doing it in a way that is safe. But I think it's important that there be people who, who stand up and say, I'm in this for more than just the prestige and the money. I'm willing to put something on the line here to, and, and to create a movement where people can do more than just buy an Internet course or buy a book or whatever it may be. And so what we're, what we're trying to do, Miriam, is to get to have 100,000 people who stop what they're doing for 10 minutes when I'm in Syria and in Egypt. It's going to be August 15th for Syria and August 18th for Egypt. To stop just for 10 minutes and to offer their prayers of peace to those troubled areas. I'm calling this quantum prayer. And, mm-hmm. and so we want everyone just to get on board. And maybe this is part of what will create that shift back into this new renaissance. The service, it, it, you know, the reaching out, it's not just about me, it's about us. It's about humanity itself. And doing something as simple as joining a movement of people who just stop at the same time to offer their prayers of peace for a troubled land like Syria, for example. I mean, maybe this is what is going to spark this. So if anyone here listening wants to be part of that, I really hope that you will. It's such a simple but important thing we can do. Um, all they need to do is to go to my website, which is jamestwyman.com, and they can get more information. They can register for the, uh, for the vigil. Uh, we'll be sending out an email soon about what time everyone will stop. And I'm just excited. I'm really excited. I, I'm actually bringing about seven people with me, which I've never done before. So we have a small group of, of peacemakers who will be going to hold space. And having done this many times in the past, I know that there is such a profound energy when you are ground zero and there are thousands if not millions of people who are sending their prayers, sending their energy to, to that situation. It is such an honor, and I'm so grateful that I'm going to be able to do that. So for me, it's not just about the film, which is a pretty, you know, pretty big thing to make a movie, but something as simple as taking, picking up my guitar, traveling to Israel, and then going to these countries so that we can get people praying together. And we have seen the benefit of prayer um, scientifically proven through... Um, uh, I think the the work of the HeartMath Institute and there's this uh, group in Princeton um, that has seen uh, actual reductions in violence and in uh, terrorism during periods where people are praying. So th- this is proven spiritual technology. Absolutely. I mean, you, you could even say it's scientific at mm-hmm. this point. And mm-hmm. it, it started with what's called the Maharishi effect when the, the TM people began practicing this, and they would, they would put a certain number of meditators into a city. I think Washington, D.C. was the first. And they, they found that as long as there was one-tenth of one percent or one person for every thousand who would be meditating and, with the intention of creating peace 
in that city that the crime rate would go down, the emergency room visits would go down. And I've been part of several worldwide prayer vigils where we've tested this theory. The first time was when I was invited back in 1998 to Iraq by Saddam Hussein himself. And it was obviously a ploy to, to get some uh, sympathy, bringing this American peace troubadour to Iraq. But it was such a profound experience, and it was the first time that we asked people to stop what they were doing and offer their prayers of peace, because it doesn't seem like that long ago, but back in 1998, not all of us had email accounts. And <laughs> certainly the web was not what it is now, but somehow when we sent out an email to about 300 people asking them to stop what they were doing at the same time I was doing this concert in Baghdad uh, and to simply offer their prayers of peace to that situation, it spread like wildfire, and millions of people were part of it. And I remember being there, and there didn't seem to be any hope or any possibility of, of a war not happening again. But in, in the face of all of that energy, something literally shifted, and within three days, a peace accord was signed. And I've seen this happen over and over again. And that's one of the reasons why we're, we're, we're shooting for 100,000 people for this vigil for Syria and for Egypt, because that seems to be the, the number uh, you know, to, to hit that threshold of energy, one-tenth of one percent, so that we can have enough people to add their energy to this situation. And, and by the way, uh, it, it doesn't really matter if the people are physically located in the place or if they're just sending their energy there. We did another experiment um, a few years ago in Israel when the Intifada was was happening, very you know, very desperate situation there, and we had people from all over the world sending their prayers of peace, and we had um, people there on the ground um, tracking to see what happened to the violence, the terrorism, all of that, and it went down for the next week uh, about 25 to 30 percent hmm. because of that vigil. So we know that it doesn't really matter if people are physically present. As, as long as, as we are focused together and, and the power of that intent joined with thousands of other people creates miracles. And this is just the, the newest way that people can get involved. So I hope that they'll go to jamestwyman.com and register and join us when I'm in Syria and Egypt. You know, after the Arab Spring uprising, particularly when it started in Egypt, there was such a sense of possibility in the Arab world, and it seems to have kind of stuttered. Um, I, I do hope that your efforts and, and the efforts of people everywhere, particularly in the region, will be focused on bringing back that sense of togetherness, that instead of this crazy uh, use of religion to, to vilify other people, uh, to, to get beyond it, it, it just seems so insane. Do, do you have any, um, any perspective on how to get people together beyond the, the, the religions that separate them? Well, the thing that always separates us is the idea that we are different or that we are better. Uh, and, and I think the, the closer that we can get to realizing that we are the same 
and that regardless of our religious beliefs, that there's more that binds us than there's more that separates us. I remember the, that first trip when I was invited to Iraq. Um, it was a pretty scary situation, obviously, but uh, after this concert was over, they had a big party uh, for me, and we um, went to this huge house, and there was a large number of people, and, and I remember being at that party thinking, these people are really no different than me. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're really the same as everyone I know. They're, they're just nice people who are concerned with the same things. And I remember sitting around that uh, party for hours just singing Simon and Garfunkel songs with everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and this is in Baghdad. So mm-hmm. I think that really is it, to begin to focus on the ways that we are the same rather than the ways that we are different. And, and, to, and to set religion aside... I mean, it is mind-boggling that throughout history, uh, more people, for example, have been killed in the name of Christ than any other person in history. I mean, this is <laughs> the, the greatest spiritual uh, pacifist of all time, and yet we have used him as an excuse to kill our, our neighbor, our friends, our enemies, people who disagree with us, whoever it may be. The same thing happens in Islam, the same thing happens in Judaism. It, it happens in every religion when it turns fundamental. And, and I think that we just need to become less rigid. We need to realize that we are the same and that we are in this together. And it's not about one group or one religion. We are in this together, and we're either going to swim together or we're going to drown. And, and you're right about the Arab Spring. It, it did start off with such hope. This doesn't surprise me, though, that it has stuttered. Um, I think it's just part of the growing pains. Let's just hope that as more people add their energy to prayer vigils like this one, that, that it's the energy that buoys the movement and helps it to realize its, its, its highest goals, not be pulled down by all these shadows. You know, the, the shadows that you speak of do concern me because you get the sense that there are people with vested interests who are, you know, almost sociopaths who just um, benefit from keeping the world on the edge instead of letting it proceed into peace and harmony. Um, and I think work like yours to get people to stop seeing each other as objects and start seeing each other as just human beings like me, part of me, part of the greater whole, mm-hmm. is the only way to, to combat this. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think there there is a, a great awakening happening. I can only hope. Well, so, you know, if you James, look out at the world, I just want to say one fast, yeah. last thing to because I, you just inspired an idea. So <laughs> it, it, it reminds me of, of the beginning of that great Charles Dickens book where he said it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. Mm-hmm. And that seems to apply today. You could look out today and you could find plenty of evidence to support the idea that this is one of the worst times in history. But you could also look out and realize and see all the, opportun- all the, the examples of this being the best time and it's odd that both seem to be existing at the same time right now. But the momentum for this energy that we're describing is, is profound, it's unstoppable, 
and it is going to continue until that shadow. I mean, a shadow disappears in the light. It, you don't need to dispel it. it. It dispels on its own. And I think as we just continue to do things like this vigil and many other things, to add light to this situation, I, once again, that, that idea of spiritual renaissance, it's about bringing light into the darkness. And I think that that's what's happening. We are leaving a kind of dark age, and we are entering into a new kind of renaissance. Here, here. Um, <laughs> so coming full circle, uh, what's the next film that you're going to be working on or presenting through the senior cinema organization? Mm -hmm. Well, my idea is to produce a film every year, uh, and so we are beginning work right now on a documentary, uh, which is called Seniors in Love. <laughs> I'm really excited about this film because it basically is going to... Uh, I'm the, the main subject in this film. Uh, I am a great example of someone who has had great success in lots of areas in life, but um, have not had great success in love. And I still feel like I have a lot to learn. And I think there are a lot of people out there, in particular uh, my elders, who have mastered different aspects of love who I could learn from. And so in this movie, I'm going to be traveling across country with the film crew and meeting and talking to many different seniors, uh, some of whom have been married for 60 years or so, others who maybe got married in their 80s and have this new vibrant relationship, or people who, who have just mastered many of the different levels of what it means to love and to make a movie about that. So I don't know where it's going to go because it's not like writing a script. You, need, you know what you're going to film. We're just going to hit the road with the film crew and see where it leads us and trust it. But it's going to be an exciting process. So... That will be the movie that we offer next year, uh, Seniors in Love. But as I said before, people can go watch the trailer right now for Redwood Highway, and mm -hmm. they can also sign that petition. So hopefully you know, we'll, we'll get that movie to be successful so we can continue to make great films. Have you ever had any kind of initiatives or, or nibbles from Hollywood on your films? Well, <clears throat> not really. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's, it's a funny thing, um, this, this film business. It, it, it's, it's desperately trying to figure itself out right now, much like the movie business or the publishing business. I mean, it, it, they're all in the same boat because everything has been turned on its ear. Um, Hollywood isn't really even interested in a film these days unless it's $50 million or more. I mean, I, I'll just tell you, we, we made Redwood Highway for $500,000, which is a tuppence compared to what most films are made for. But when people watch Redwood Highway, they can't believe that. Because if you have people who know what they're doing, and you have great actors like Shirley Knight or Tom Skerritt, uh, you can do a lot. And so we're going to be working on small, on small budgets, uh, and trying to do something on a grassroots level. Now, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll come to the point where if we can get this movement going and we can have some success, of course, I would love to work with a bigger budget. It would be great. Uh, but I'm not holding my breath. Uh, my, my whole thing is to inspire the movement and to have this show up in lots of different ways. It's not just about me. It, it's about 
all of us. It's about just having great films made from by lots of people. And I'll play my role. And and if the time comes when when we have some success and we get some attention and have a bigger budget, great. But if not, I, I just want to keep doing this. You know, to be honest, Miriam, I love it so much. I just, I just don't want to stop. I, I just really want to make more movies and, and continue this. So I'm determined to make sure Redwood Highway is successful so we can do that. You know what this reminds me of? Um, it's, it's like the, the concept of as above, so below. Or mm-hmm. it, it, This is it's something that's happening across the economy if you look at industry for example um we where you or let's start with the financial services the banking industry you used to have these little community banks and they were all about supporting local business and then you get them gobbled up one after the other until you only have a few banks in the world that are too big to fail who don't really care tuppence about the local um, mm-hmm. individual. Um, you, you have the same thing with uh, agribusiness, with uh, companies in general, this, this move to get on the stock market, to play the, the, the stock price, manipulate the stock prices, and you lose touch with why you went into business in the first place. You lose touch with the connection with the consumer, with the customer. Not the consumer, the customer, the person to be served with your product. Mm-hmm. And the same thing in the film industry. As you said before, there were people at the early days of the film industry who were passionate about the art, passionate about quality. And you go back and you look at some of the classics of the film industry and you marvel at what they did with zero budget. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and today, uh, you know, the, the the money that is being spent, uh, I mean, to have a quarter of a billion dollars spent on a movie uh, is just, it amazes me. Uh, and to have that film be like cotton candy, there's no real substance to it. It's mm-hmm. not like eating a meal, it's like eating candy. I mean, these are not the films 20 years from now we're going to look back on and say, wow. I mean, there are, of course, great films that are being made today, but but they're but but they're not getting the attention that they deserve. I think is is the problem, and that's why I said earlier that if Steven Spielberg is right, if if the film industry does implode upon itself, maybe that is a good thing. You know, may, maybe it's going to open the door for for more meaningful stories and 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 the, the types of films that that are going to resonate on a deeper soul level. And to give actors who, who are older uh, the chance to continue to work. I mean, I think that's a big part of this for me is that there are many, many great actors out there who are older, uh, who are still very good. And, you know, take Shirley and Tom as, an, as examples. I mean, they're amazing, and, and they still have so much to offer us. And that's true of, of all of our elders. They still have so much to offer us. You, know, you had said before, Miriam, that this is much bigger than just film. You're right. This is about our society. We have a tendency to, to take our elders when they get to a certain age and say, okay, thank you very much. You've played your role. You've done your job. Now you can go stand over there. And I actually was the, the original inspiration for Red, Redwood Highway came from my own grandmother, who we had to put into a nursing home a couple of years ago because she was you know, in her late 90s and, 
you know, I, I like to say she was driving by Braille. You know, she just <laughs> stopped driving her own car, even though she couldn't see. She said, I know where I'm going. I've driven these roads my whole life. I was like, well, we, we, she needed some help. And, and, and she tried to escape a couple of times from the nursing home, and she was always caught. And I thought, I wonder what would happen if Graham did get away. And she had a, one more great adventure. What would that be like? And that was my inspiration for, for the script. And then, and also my own mother, um, she informed a lot of the character. And, and then in December, we were almost done with a rough cut, and I was going to go to Missouri and show it to my grandmother so she could. I didn't, we didn't, you know, she was 98 at the time. We didn't know how much longer she had. And then she passed away right before I could do that. Oh. So she never did get to see it. And then my own mother passed away in January. Oh, my so, goodness. Yeah, so the two you know, great matriarchs of the family, both of whom inspired this story, were never able to see it. Um, so it, it, it well, makes me even Well, not from this side, anyway. Exactly. <laughs> it makes me even more determined, though, uh, you know, for them and, and for all of us to, to bring inspirational stories that are for all of us, but that resonate in particular with this audience. Tell us about how you're premiering your film. Well, we've got some really interesting ideas, actually. Um, one of the things that we're going to be doing is we're going to be having a big red carpet event. We were hoping to do this in September, but it's not going to happen until sometime at the beginning of the year, next year. But uh, we'll have a big red carpet event in L.A., and, at, and then on the same night there are going to be around 5,000 senior communities that will be able to show the film at no cost in their communities so that the people who may not necessarily get to go to the film on their own will get to see it. In fact, they'll get to see it first. And cool. so they'll be able to web stream the red carpet event and, and feel like they're part of that, feel like they're part of a big Hollywood premiere. And then when we go inside to watch the movie, they put the movie on right there in their community. And then it'll come out in theaters and, and all of the other traditional ways. But we wanted to do something really unique and different first, just to, to honor this community and to, and to show that we're serious about this. Well, you're going to have to get a cohort of seniors and boomers on the case to get this the publicity that it deserves. So, again, where do people go to find out more about it, James? Well, SeniorCinema.com. Very easy. www.SeniorCinema.com. And that's where you can sign the petition, take the survey. Uh, as I said before, there's a trailer right there for Redwood Highway. You can get an idea of what that's going to be like. It's a beautiful trailer, too. I think people are going to like that. Uh, and, yeah, please, go sign that petition. So many people are talking about this, but we need more than talk. We need action. So I hope all the people who are listening to this program, regardless of their age, will go and sign this and be part of that. And, as I said before, if you want to, to be part of a meaningful, prayerful revolution to help heal what's going on out in the world, please join me when I'm in Syria and Egypt doing this prayer vigil. Um, to register, you just need to go to my website, jamestwyman.com. And also, the other thing I should mention is that my idea is not just to have this group be, you know, present for this one vigil or these two vigils, but to know that we have a group of dedicated people who are ready at any moment. Let's say something happens in the world that requires 
a very quick turnaround. We can quickly mo uh, mobilize this group of people, send out a couple of emails, and be ready at any time to offer our energy and our prayers of peace. So I hope everyone will, will go ahead and go to jamestwyman.com for that and to seniorcinema.com to, see, to sign that petition. Well, you heard it from the man himself, James Twyman, <laughs> the peace troubadour, filmmaker of Redwood Highway, and the revolutionary behind A Million Senior Voices. James, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been my honor, Miriam. Thank you for what you're doing here. You'll find many of James's books among the many fascinating and transformational books, films, and CDs that we cover on New Consciousness Review. I invite you to visit our website at ncreview.com. Well, next week, our guest will be the very fascinating Stuart Pierce. Stuart teaches presentation skills and communication processes in Great Britain, and he has coached such public figures as Margaret Thatcher and Princess Diana. Another, perhaps well-known communication aspect of Stuart is that he speaks with the Angels of Atlantis. A fascinating and wide-ranging conversation awaits us, so I do hope you'll join us. Now we're going to close with a special treat for our track of the week. It is from James Twyman's album of 12 prayers from 12 different spiritual traditions. We're going to listen to the Christian prayer, which is the prayer of St. Francis, sung and scored by James Twyman.
and it isn't pardoning that we are now pardoned for it is in giving that we do receive about you, but I find the words of St. Francis incredibly touching and meaningful. If we all took them to heart, just think what a wonderful world it would be. Well, that was, as I indicated, the prayer of St. Francis, a Christian prayer from James Twyman's album, 12 Prayers. You know, you can download the entire album for free from James Twyman's website, which is jamestwyman.com. Well, that's it for our show for today. I do hope you'll join us next week. Until then, I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review.